0: Men are being given a lot of encouragement in the media about going to have a little prick to check for prostate cancer. Can it often be cured if detected early, or is it more likely to become more sinister? Professor Jim Denham, a researcher at the University of Newcastle and Calvary Martin, Newcastle, is my guest today, and we're going to be talking about prostate cancer and the trials that are currently being undertaken. Professor Denham, thank you for joining me and coming in and talking to me.
1: Well, thank you, Iris. It's a real pleasure and thank you for taking an interest in this important subject.
0: What is the prostate gland and where is it situated in the body?
1: Okay, so it's a walnut-sized gland uh, and it's situated just below uh, the the bladder, just in front of the rectum, just on top of the penis. And uh, it's an organ that produces seminal fluid, which is very important because none of us would be here today Mm. without it. So we ought to be grateful to it. What does the cancer look like? Well, cancers in most parts of the body look like small white areas of scar tissue with sort of little leads going to other parts. And if they're extending outside of an organ like the prostate, you can see it's extending outwards.
0: Does it grow within the prostate or does it attach itself to the outside of it and work into it?
1: Yes, it starts off inside of the prostate, uh, usually at the back of the prostate, uh, quite near to the rectum, which is why one can Mm. feel it with rectal examination. But it's about a centimetre or more away from the urethral tube, which goes through the middle of the prostate. And uh, if the urethral tube is squeezed, uh, then one gets urinary problems. But because prostate cancer... So usually starts at the back of the prostate. It doesn't squeeze on the urethral tube. And so usually there's no symptoms whatsoever until the problem gets really bad.
0: There's an advert on television about the fellow who has problems getting a flow of urine up is this one of the symptoms that can be associated with? No it
1: isn't Um, what happens is is that uh, in most fellows the worst side of 50 like myself uh, the benign bit of the prostate called the transitional zone near the bladder base this is the thing that enlarges in us Mm fellows and this is the bit that wraps its way around the urethral tube and causes us the urinary problem And this benign enlargement of the prostates uh, called BPH has nothing to do with prostate cancer, but it's so common that you frequently see BPH and prostate cancer, but it's the BPH that's causing the urinary problem rather than the prostate cancer.
0: Like breast cancer, is it more prone to develop because the cancer is in a soft tissue or is it because it's involved with reproduction and hormones?
1: Well, it's certainly very much like breast cancer and really um, the reason it's developing uh, is to do with, uh, if you like, its sexual function and its dependency on the hormone environment in the body. And what happens in both men and women... uh, the fatty tissue in our body actually alters uh, the uh, the sex hormones and can change them for the worse. And this is one of the reasons why in countries like China um, and the Far East, um, where diets are generally poor and sparse and people are thin, the incidence of both breast and prostate cancer is actually quite low. However, when these countries become affluent, places like Singapore, mm. and they start eating more food and Western diets in particular, then the incidence of prostate and breast cancer rocket upwards.
0: So it's the fatty tissue that's the start of the problem, basically.
1: Well, it's one Helps of the factors, well, mm. certainly one of the factors. Mm.
0: Does it affect men over a certain age, or doesn't age come into it?
1: Age certainly comes into it. Uh, I think, fortunately, it's quite rare in men under the age of 40. However, generally speaking, uh, it's a process that is starting in the 40s. So we do see men in their 40s. Certainly we see more men in the 50s. And uh, I would say the peak incidence at the present, because we don't diagnose cancer early enough, uh, Mm -hmm. is actually in the 70s. Does
0: this increase that's coming in now is this because we are in general more overweight than we used to be and therefore eating more more fatty tissue?
1: I think that's definitely one of the factors it's also true to say that we're an aging population Mm there is zero population growth so people are getting older so both of these factors I think are combining to increase the incidence of prostate cancer.
0: Taking that one step further, if the men were more aware of their diet and cut out even more fat than a lot of them are, would that help to improve their chances not to have it?
1: Oh, I think so. And I think together with eating more vegetables and fruits, mm. and that would make a decided difference. In fact, it would improve a lot of health conditions apart from prostate mm. cancer.
0: You don't often hear it associated with prostate cancer, though, do you? Mm. I mean, you should lose weight, eat fruit and veggies and keep your fat content down, but you don't hear it directly associated with no, the No, I prostate. think
1: that there's been just a silence out there in the community about prostate cancer and uh, as a matter of fact, two or three years ago, uh, Lindy Burns asked me this question, uh, mm. look uh, Jim, you know, why is it we hear so much about breast cancer but nothing about prostate mm. cancer? And I thought, my God, that's a difficult question, so said to her, well, it's because we don't read very much about it in the magazines. Mm. For instance, you'll never see a single story about it in Rugby League Weekly. Anyway, she, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, she laughed and then asked me some easy questions that I could answer. But what uh, her question did was had me go back and talk to my friend Irina Maggia, the Foundation Professor of Nursing mm. here at Newcastle Uni, and we set about a research project to try and determine what the silence in the community is all about. And the fact of the matter is, is we found what I could have asked you for nothing and mm. that is, is that women are the health managers of the, uh, yeah. the, the family unit and if a woman doesn't know anything about prostate cancer then generally speaking a spouse mm. will know um, nothing uh, either. So um, w- women um, do read about health, they do take Uh, a a family responsibility for it but there's nothing out there to uh, to tell women anything no authoritative uh, information so uh, Irina and I set about um, trying to do something about it and uh, she's written a book what women and their men need to know about prostate cancer and uh, it's very well received
0: does it prostate cancer run in families?
1: It does. Um, something like one in ten cases of prostate cancer, uh, you can see definitely family linkages mm. and that is approximately the same as for breast cancer it's mm. one in ten women and um, the fact is is that both breast and prostate cancers are actually very common for a fellow like me how the wrong side of 50 my lifetime risk is about one in eight mm. however if i had a brother or my dad had had it um, my risk would be three times higher than that And if Mm. there were two family members, it would be anywhere between four and eight times. And look, Mm. if there were three family members, it would be like saving Private Ryan. You know, it Mm. would be. Yeah. uh, Yeah, I
0: guess it's something that we need to keep an eye on just as a general thing but I think we are becoming more aware of the dangers of prostate, aren't we?
1: Yeah, I think we are, and um, I'm glad to say that thanks to the efforts of the local community group, um, this particular population here in the Hunter uh, uh, is really becoming aware.
0: Is there an equivalent to a mammogram for prostate?
1: Um, The equivalent uh, is, in fact, a blood test called the PSA, the Prostate-Specific Antigen, but uh, like mammography, it isn't totally specific Mm. uh, for cancer. So it's specific for prostate disorders, but not for prostate cancer in particular. So um, just as women have mammography and all sorts of little... Abnormalities Mm. will show up that aren't cancer. The same is true, in fact, uh, of the PSA test. So you can say that uh, approximately, um, fortunately, only one or two out of four or five uh, men who've got an elevated level have, in fact, um, got prostate cancer. And, in fact, the figures are almost identical to the mammography figures.
0: You're listening to Wellbeing and I'm talking today with Professor Jim Denham. Professor Denham, a lot of research is being done uh, into prostate cancer along with other cancers and you're currently involved in one of the biggest trials at the moment known as RADAR which is looking into inoperable cancer. Will you explain to me what RADAR is please?
1: Yes, certainly. Uh, RADAR is in fact uh, the second of two large trials that uh, I've been involved in and uh, both of these trials um, are looking at men who can't for one reason or another have surgery but are lucky enough that their cancer does remain confined to the prostate um, region. And these men, as a rule, have had radiotherapy by itself as a treatment in the past. Mm. However, what we've been exploring is whether a course of hormone therapy known as androgen deprivation can be helpful. Now, what RADAR stands for is randomized androgen deprivation and radiotherapy. So what it means is that uh, a man is allocated to either one type of radiotherapy plus hormone treatment, the androgen deprivation, or another. So what we found in the first trial, um, and this started off in the 90s, we were people across Australia and New Zealand realised that the results of radiotherapy by themselves wasn't very good. So we set about... um, adding a course of hormone treatment. So men were allocated either radiotherapy by itself Mm -hmm. or three months of this androgen deprivation or six months prior to the radiotherapy. And uh, what we found was was that the six months of treatment did the best of all, Mm -hmm. and it cut the chances of cancer spread, in other words, cut the metastases Mm. secondaries by over 40%, and it reduced the death rate by well over a third. So we were incredibly pleased with that. It's changed the standard of Mm. care in Australia and Mm. New Zealand, and uh, this forms the basic standard treatment of the RADAR trial. And In the RADAR trial, um, men have received either the standard treatment or they've received the standard treatment plus an additional year of androgen deprivation. Or they might have also received 18 months of a special bone drug which is aimed at reducing the risk of cancer spreading to the bone too.
0: Does prostate cancer if it's left untreated does it gallop away and get into all the other organs as some cancers do lung cancer once it gets hold it takes off at a great rate does prostate cancer have the same risk
1: Look, uh, it certainly gets away, Iris, so it certainly can and does spread. So it'll spread into the lymph glands, it'll spread into the bony skeleton, but galloping is not the right word for it. It proceeds much more slowly and i I emphasize this because people think okay i've been hit with a diagnosis of cancer help it's going to kill me the answer with prostate cancer is no it isn't it's a slow growing cancer and this gives you the time to make up your mind about what you're going to do think about it very carefully
0: i've heard the saying that often men die with prostate cancer rather than from it. What sort of figures would bear that out?
1: Yes, well, it's certainly true that that does happen, that men die of other things. Um, mm. However, prostate cancer can and does kill mm. For instance, it actually kills slightly more men each year than women in Australia, so it's 2,700, which Mm -hmm. converts to nine men every day. And as I heard at a meeting last night, that works out at one every three hours and 32 minutes. So, um, look, prostate cancer is a, a killer, all right, but it's also in some men quite a benign problem too and this is Mm. one of the things that's tricky to understand one end of the spectrum it can be lethal and at the other end of the spectrum in fact it can be quite benign and harmless so in fact uh, it can grow so slowly um, that it isn't likely to cause uh, harm uh, in uh, perhaps maybe a third of men So to give you a figure, um, the mortality figures uh, aren't very good, Um, so this is an educated guess. So I think we can say that something like 6,000 men each year uh, will, will die with a past history of prostate cancer, but not of it. And this is because most of them have had treatment and the cancer is under control. And some of them have never had any treatment and the cancer really has actually not caused them any harm.
0: You mentioned that they can have treatment or it can be operable. Can you sort of on radio explain to me what the process is for an operable...
1: Yes, yes, that's quite easy and I'm glad to say that many men who get early diagnosis, which I'm encouraging, um, do have cancers that are operable. What it means really is is that there's a s- relatively small focus of cancer that's totally confined within the prostate organ itself and is not escaping out of the rather thin, flimsy capsule that is around um, the prostate. Some men can have a little bit of limited spread of the cancer outside of the immediate capsule and still have a successful operation. But by and large, when the cancer is extending outside of the capsule, then the operation uh, isn't effective. And the reason for that is is because there's not very much tissue around the uh, prostates. Because it's in such a confined area, which means that when it's removed, uh, it can't be taken with a large cuff of tissue like for instance breast cancer mm. could a small cancer could be taken out with quite a generous area of breast tissue without um, it looking particularly obvious but in prostate cancer the same isn't true so the cancer really has to be confined to be for it to be uh, truly operable and another factor I think I should mention is obviously the man should be fit because it's quite a big operation and man needs to be able to uh, survive it.
0: Does having the operation, does that mean that the men will sort of lose their sex drive?
1: Sometimes it does. Um, well, more commonly um, because it's these tiny little nerves and blood vessels that power erectile function so near to the prostate when... The prostate is removed even with the best intentions mm. and uh, the new techniques of sparing the nerves a potency can be lost and this can be a permanent thing and it is a source of distress to quite a lot of particularly the younger men um, because the sex drive may remain but, um, but, but the sexual uh, ability is is missing mm.
0: I guess that they would need to have a lot of persuading some of them that it's better to have the operation than than let it get away and although maybe that's a personal choice they have to look at. Yeah,
1: I think it is a personal choice. Fortunately, uh, I think many men realise when they have a cancer, and, um, you know, particularly if they're looking, they've got a good life expectancy, mm. that it's really only smart to do something about it. And um, then usually considerations like potency um, um, do remain, you know, an issue mm. for them, but fortunately not. The overwhelming issue, and mm. um, normally their spouses say, Well, look, um, I'll I love you anyway. anyway.
0: You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols, and my guest today is Professor Jim Denham. Professor Denham, how many people are working with you in this particular research?
1: Okay, well, we've actually got quite a big team. Uh, in Newcastle, I'm working with a team of 14 people, so we're the, if you like, the coordinating mm. body for the whole of Australia and New Zealand, and uh, I'm very fortunate to have a wonderful um, team of really highly skilled um, people. And uh, they have to be because basically they're helping all the centres around Australia and New Zealand uh, with uh, all the treatments and Uh, how they do things how they fill in forms etc collect the data correctly so um, what we have out there, outside of Newcastle, is uh, in the 9601 trial, uh, which was the one which was looking at six months of hormone treatment, and that was 800 men from 18 cancer centres right across Australia and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So we were talking about something like a 100 specialist doctors, we were talking about approximately similar numbers of doctors, da- data managers, research nurses, and then we're talking about all the teams of um, people, the radiation therapists and physicists who actually deliver the treatment. So when you add all of these people up, we're Mm. talking about uh, uh, the effort of a small army of Mm. people
0: it 's a lot of people
1: yeah try it, yeah. and the radar trial well, it's been bigger because there are twenty five centers and a thousand uh, men um so it's been an even bigger small army
0: I suppose you must be quite please doesn't seem to be quite the, the word I'm looking for but happy with the results and the fact that so many people are interested in getting involved in the trials with you
1: Yeah, well I think the clinicians realised what a big problem this was and so they've actually been very willing to embrace mm. change and try to improve the situation and I think the men for themselves uh, it's reasonably obvious um, to them that um, there are problems and they're threatened mm. so we've uh, actually never had any trouble at all uh, in enrolling men um, they, they've been mm. over eager to uh, volunteer.
0: Amongst all your cases do you look at men who don't have prostate cancer?
1: No we don't we focus exclusively if you like on this locally advanced mm. prostate cancer so it's definitely cancer. It's actually got to a stage where it's causing a real chance of threat over a five-year period. However, it hasn't got to the stage where it has spread around the body.
0: Overall, are you pleased with the results you're finding?
1: Well, I think we've been fantastically pleased. Not only have we um, launched and completed enrollment are two of the world's largest trials they're certainly the largest cancer trials in australia new zealand history but i think more than that uh, it's very very gratifying uh, to to devise new treatments and find out within the rigor of a proper trial mm. that it actually does good and i think um to be able to say at the end of the day, well, look, we've helped to contribute to a reduction in cancer spread by 40% and cut death rates by a third uh, at least, um, is certainly very, very pleasing. However, I've got to say that we haven't actually stopped with that and um, because the radar trial is trying to do better so what we're hoping obviously to achieve is to change the standard uh, of care really not only for today's men but men into the future so we're looking for if you like a generational change as a result of these treatments
0: in the course of your treatments have you come up with any surprises
1: um, in the um, second trial, um, we were actually anticipating more ill effects from the treatment because, after all, we were using more treatments in the second trial than in the first trial. And I'm delighted to say that um, those sort of uh, uneasy feelings haven't produced, you know, haven't mm-hmm. been founded, that, in fact, the treatments, even the long treatments, have been pretty well tolerated. There have been side effects, but they've been much less than we'd expected.
0: Your research will continue on over the years, presumably. Do you think there will ever come a time when, like breast cancer, that prostate cancer won't be a threat to us?
1: Yes, look, I think we are going to get there, I think there's an amazing number of new discoveries outside of the clinical trials area that are going to make massive contributions. For instance, identifying the men who are most at risk, the cancers that really require treatment, the cancers that don't require treatment because Mm -hmm. they're so slow growing. I think there's going to be changes in our ability to detect cancers early, and I think there are new therapeutic agents that are going to help us overcome uh, the cancers that are presently resistant to the types of treatment we're giving today. I mean, I think we're talking about three or four decades, but I think we can see the mortality due to prostate cancer shrinking dramatically over that period of time, Give you some example of you know how slowly things can move. Mm. Um uh the ninety six oh one trial started in ninety six of course Mm. and then went on to two thousand, but it was another five years we had to wait before we could report some meaningful results. Mm. The same is true in the radar trial which finished earlier this year with uh, 1,071 men who volunteered Mm -hmm. and um, we're not going to be able to produce solid results until 2012. So um, we're um, also in the 9601, we're gathering further data, so there'll be long-term data from 10 years of follow-up in 2010. And uh, in the radar trial, we expect to be... uh, Wrapping up proceedings in 2017, so there, um, you know, these improvements uh, are, are stepwise, mm. but you can see they're taking some time.
0: When you think about it, five years or ten years to someone who has prostate cancer or breast cancer it must seem a long time. But when you look back on it. That time seems to have gone quite quickly. And the advances that have been made through research happen on a regular basis. You see improvement all the time. So do you expect by 2017 to sort of feel, well, um, yes, we did this, but it progressed through and... Look where we are now.
1: Yes, I think by 2017, um, I'm obviously hoping that we'll have established uh, a standard of care, not only for Australia and New Zealand, but that we've contributed to the international efforts so that we'll be mm. seeing um, men using... Um, if you like, the best treatment on offer in the radar trial um, in Europe and the United States, in the same way as we've seen the 9601 results taken Mm. up abroad. Um, However, I don't think we're going to be seeing, if you like, the end of prostate cancer because, of course, uh, prostate cancer remains sensitive hormone treatment for only um, a, a limited period of time. And after that um, there are uh, new therapies that are required to um, make real genuine inroads into that problem, so by two thousand and seventeen, I think we'll have identified these men much earlier on in the piece, so we 'll have tests which will help us identify them, and we'll be looking at um, new classes of treatments um, to, to to help the men. But I think one of the things I think will make one of the biggest differences is actually detecting men at an early stage before they get bad enough to go into my trials. So what we really need to do is to put me clean out of business by diagnosing the cancer much earlier.
0: So I guess it comes back to my opening statement about the um, women encouraging their men to go for a little prick.
1: Yes, it certainly does, and I think we owe women kind uh, uh, an awful lot.
0: The message is getting across
1: yes um we've been very very pleasantly surprised Uh, i'm the medical advisor to a community group called the prostate survivor alliance so these are some uh, very Mm. well-known members of the community who've decided um, they've had enough of prostate cancer they're going to do something about Mm. it there's a higher death rate here in the hunter region in fact all areas mm. north of Sydney, um, then in Sydney itself. So um, the job they've taken on is to get the death rate down. And they've, um, they know that it's going to be easy to do this if one can encourage early diagnosis. And, um, Iris, since um, we started campaigning uh, 18 months ago, um, what we've seen, at least at one point, pathology laboratory called Simban, we've um, Mm. seen a 250% increase in the number of PSA tests being done. And uh, this is going to translate Mm. into earlier diagnoses, Mm. and it's going to translate into reductions in death rates.
0: Just finally, before I let you go, you mentioned about people becoming aware of breast cancers and we have breast cancer day and daffodil day and um, we have newspapers printed on pink paper Um, all of which brings to the 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 layman's attention Mm, mm. do you think that something like i think blue is is a color being associated Mm, with mm. um, prostate cancer do you think we'll in the fairly near future um that we will start seeing um blue bows for the for the fellas and blue newspapers and all those sorts of things to bring it to attention. Well,
1: I'd like that to happen. Um, Certainly the Prostate Survival Alliance has got exactly that in its sights. I think one of the things that have benefited women so much in the battle against breast cancer is, if you like, the availability of information. There's quite a few... Breast cancer counsellors actually employed in New South Wales and throughout Australia. Uh, prostate cancer counsellors maybe there's one or two in the whole of uh, Australia so um, the Prostate Survival Alliance um, through if you like the launching of the Newcastle Prostate Cancer Centre 10 days ago um, is is really looking to if you like uh, extend uh, that awareness provide uh, resources for newly diagnosed men and the wives um, to come in and get the information uh, that they need and obviously what we'd like to do uh, as time goes by is to develop a counselling resource.
0: Professor Denham thank you for coming in and explaining it all so clearly that I'm sure that all of us listening will have got the very general idea and uh, you've made it so very interesting thank you very much for coming in and it was great to have you here
1: thank you so much iris
0: i've been talking today with professor jim denham head of the trans tasman radiation oncology group prostate cancer trials and working at the newcastle university and at the calvary martyr hospital thank you for listening and until we meet again this is iris nichols on behalf of the team wishing you well